0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you.
1: On February 22, 2002, at 2:22 2 p.m., the airwaves of Madison, Wisconsin, would never be the same again. College student radio could finally be considered legit and truly legal. Many may not realize that the landscape for student radio at the largest university in the state of Wisconsin was looking bleak for nearly a decade prior to officially turning on the transmitter for WSUM 91.7 FM. There were legal battles, a town who practiced a strong push of not-in-my-backyard policies, and threats from the FCC, to name a few of the challenges. Right before WSUM, the UW campus radio station was known as 91.5 FM WLHA. The early 90s saw a slight renaissance for the college radio station with a significant promotion efforts to get college students listening again, including such highlights as Blocks of Ice, the early 80s flashback, and its associated popular dances held on campus that served as fundraisers for updating our equipment that really needed it at the time. The great expansion of a music library and a partnership with the Associated Students of Madison, the student government on campus at the time, to start the effort to make a push for a full-fledged campus station. We'll go through some of that history today with former WLHA managers who became a sports medicine physician, that's me, a college professor, an engineer, as well as a writer, editor, and reviewer for NPR Music, and also a formal journalism school professor. But all of us have a heavy heart as we record this. We were saddened to hear of the passing of our great friend Dave Black this past week, who is the main reason why college radio exists at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He died just a few days before we recorded this. Dave Black was a graduate student in the journalism school in the early 90s, and we were able to convince him, along with journalism school professor Dr. James Hoyt, to lead the charge forward to help secure the campus radio station by providing some stability to the effort, which ultimately resulted in WSUM. Dave served as the station's general manager for 20 years, and anyone who had the honor of crossing paths with Dave knows how he truly stamped his impact on your heart forever. I think it's a good place to start is to have each of us introduce ourselves our role with WLHA at the time, and then what you're up to almost 30 years later from graduating from the university, or in the case of Dr. Hoyt, what you've been up to since WSUM was going on the air and since your retirement. Why don't we start with Brian?
2: Brian Mackard here, and I started with WLHA as a part-time DJ my freshman year in 89. You know, I think I got a regular radio show probably the following year, And then shortly after that, I think we had some graduations among the staff of WLHA. And let's see, I don't know, I assume some type of role, I think, as assistant station manager or something like that. And eventually, you know, wiggled into a co-station manager with Scooter, you know, stuck with that not only when we went off the air, but just on the initial push to to try to get us a campus-wide radio station until I left Madison in early 1995. Since then, after I graduated, worked as an environmental engineer for a number of years, then stayed home with my three kids. So it was a stay-at-home dad for roughly 15 years, went back to school for a master's, and now I work in IT for the largest third-party logistics company in the world. So that's a, a brief
3: synopsis there. Scooter, how about you? How you doing? My name is Scooter Pegram. I'm a college professor at Indiana University. Things are going pretty well. So as far as WLHA goes, I moved to Madison in the springtime of 1991 from Tampa, Florida, with the intention to enroll as a student. And I actually met Brian. They were having a record sale. And I came to it and to kind of introduce myself into particularly college radio, I had interned in for a few stations in Tampa, notably WINF and a couple of other ones, uh, just as an unpaid kind of like go-to person. But I learned a lot about the industry and I hit it off with Brian pretty well at the beginning and I met some of Brian's friends. I can't remember who was there with us, Brian. I worked as a DJ for a few weeks. It was really at the middle of the semester, but I finished up the semester. Then I officially enrolled in university in the summer session participated in the trivia, I should mention. <laughs> that was my f- first getting to know everybody. In the fall, Shondar Gallo was the station manager at the time, and he kind of decided he didn't want to do it, and he called me up in August before school started and said, hey, you want to take over? I'm like, yeah. I said, okay, so here we go. I looked at the, the station that at that time wasn't doing very well, and it was kind of like a small club, if anything. didn't have any listeners. I said, well, we have to do some crazy stuff to try to get some attention. Uh, maybe we'll get some people listening to us, and sure enough, we got some attention. And I remember Stephen when we first started; the phones were ringing like crazy uh, during the welcome week in Madison. And we're like, "Wow, there's people calling us. What do we do?" <laughs> and, uh, and then we kind of went from there, and then uh, it took off. So it was a it was a fun ride, and I think about that time quite fondly. I kind of miss it,
1: Steven.
4: Yeah, I started at WLHA. I feel like it was the fall of 1991 because I remember my first order of business as the newly minted music director was to open all the accumulated mail from... (laughs) I I don't know. It was months worth of mail, which really wasn't that much because WLHA wasn't hooked up with a lot of record companies. Anyway, I remember opening the very first package and I pulled out a T-shirt and I was like, wow, a T-shirt. They sent us a T-shirt and it had a a CD single and a 12-inch LP Hmm. single. And I'm like, oh, I I need to listen to this. I've never heard of this band, but they sent me a T-shirt. The song was "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana. It was like a scene from a movie. This song, this you know, song just blew me away. So, well, since leaving WLHA, I you know I worked for the Onion for about twelve years. I started the AV Club, which is the entertainment section of the Onion, and started working at NPR in two thousand six. And now I mostly do podcasts. I'm on a show called All Songs Considered, and my and ho- a co-host of Pop Culture Happy Hour for NPR. So, the the as, as Scooter said before we started recording, the, the one person in this group who didn't have a show on WLHA actually went into radio, which was not my intention <laughs> at, the, at the early part of my career. You know, I got to be music director for four years, even after I graduated for a while. I was still holding down that job. And I was communications director. So I did a lot of like writing press releases and helping these guys come up with silly promotional ideas. Mark mentioned the blocks of ice, which was our gimmick for going 24 hours a day, was to fill the nine empty hours in our schedule by playing the album To the Extreme by Vanilla Ice just on loop overnight for 9 hours each day and we called it our blocks of ice 24 hours baby you know it was just a lot of really scrappy little gimmicks like there was a U2 concert at Camp Randall Stadium mm. and we gave away two ticket stubs from like from the completed concert cuz every other station in town was doing big giveaways for that show and you know so it was just like taking advantage of that underdog status to to kind of get people excited and kind of recruit more people to keep the station alive
1: Jim.
5: Yes, my name is Jim Hoyt. I'm a retired faculty member in the School of Journalism. I predate you guys (laughs) in a number of ways. I joined the faculty in 1973. I came from NBC News in Washington, D.C., and I kind of initially got the reputation as being the broadcast guy. So people, students who were interested in broadcasting tended to migrate to my office, And I had, over the years, a whole variety of different strange students who were involved with student radio in one way or another who were interested in getting a license but didn't know exactly how to do it. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't have money. They just wanted to have some help. And I tried to steer them to people who might be able to help. And this went on for quite some time. And then entered Dave Black. And Dave Black was my teaching assistant. He was my TA in broadcast news. And he taught the labs that did newscasts on WLHA. And sometimes we got along well, and sometimes we didn't with you guys. And uh, Dave came to me one time and said, you know, the guys over at Student Radio aren't all that happy with our newscasts. They think that their station might be better without them. And uh, I said, well, let's all get together and talk. Maybe we can help them, and maybe they can help us, and we can work together toward a student radio station. So that was where we went. Dave was at the center of it. He would report to me I wasn't intimately involved in it, but clearly it led to this wonderful, wonderful resource, WSUM. A little incidental date situation that I have, I retired February 2nd, 22. Yeah. went on the air February 22nd, 2002. Not, yep. 2002. <laughs> I jokingly said all it took to get the station on the air was for me to get out of the way. <laughs> and I retired... <laughs> Three weeks later, the station went on the air, bless his heart, Dave Black picked up the torch right away when he started being involved with the students, and you know that you can tell that story better than I can. Since I've retired, I've been involved in a variety of other activities. I worked for a while at one of the local television stations, which was kind of a hoot for me to go back to my roots, and I've been working with the UW Foundation, with the Carbone Cancer Center, as well as the Institute on Alzheimer's program, raising funds for them, and raising public awareness of those issues. I'm still living in Madison, still enjoying life, and I'm 78 years old. Jim, you look great.
2: You look great. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: does. Thank you, thank you. Now, the thing everybody needs to know, we get to see each other because we're on video, but we're only recording the audio of this. So so you don't get, we, I agree, Jim looks great. I
4: mean, I was going to say, Jim looks younger than at least two of us. i'm not gonna ask which two
2: well you you know i kind of have the lights down low here because i have so much gray hair
4: (laughs) that uh it's salty. <laughs> yeah, was definitely,
1: yeah, I'm Mark Halstead. I think I joined the station in 91. I honestly don't even remember how I got down to the station, to be honest. I had done some DJing in high school just kind of like for fun stuff, and I thought the student radio station was kind of neat. I, I went down there and I started, I had a show, and eventually I became a program director at some point. I don't remember how that happened. I think they just wanted someone there. You guys wanted someone there to actually... Organize the shows, and then eventually we created this this goofy idea of this Thursday night, early 80s flashback thing that would start off with Chris and Missy and then would go to Scooter and then it would uh, end with me and my DJ partner, Jen, and we would do these basically, I guess it would work out to be about nine hours of 80s music and became super popular, crazy popular actually, enough so that we actually started doing a bunch of dances around the campus I remember the very last one we had, I think this was after you guys were all off campus. I think this was one we did like in 98. We actually had, we held it at the Memorial Union and we actually had, I think, close to 700 or 800 people there. I mean, just imagining that, Hmm. I I would never have imagined that at starting off with everything. And this was actually five years after the station had already gone off the air. We had already been back on internet for WSUM. They were doing internet broadcasting at that point for a year. And that's why I became a station manager for the internet station. That's the thing about being a doctor so that you have to be someplace for a long time. So I did undergrad and then my med school and then my pediatric residency training all at Wisconsin. So I was on campus there in Madison from 1990 until actually 2002 when it went on the air. So I actually got to see the fruition of being there when the station turned on, so that was exciting for me to to see that uh, actually happen there. Just being peripherally involved at that point, so that that's kind of my story. I do sports medicine now in St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been doing that for for the last almost twenty years now. So,
3: hey Mark, but, you uh, mentioned uh, Chris yeah. uh, Chris from the '80s show. We should I I got to name drop him. Talking about success stories, he's yeah. the he's the anchor man at a Cedar. Is it Cedar Rapids where he is?
1: Yeah, is he's it? in Iowa. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So he went into into broadcast. There. I mean, there's there's plenty of stories that we could tell of people who have come from any of our stations. Obviously, yeah. whether it was WLHA predecessors of WLHA, and then certainly a WSUM has been a, a huge boon for people who are interested in the broadcast career. No question. From
4: our day, Caitlin Demaris, is the lead singer of Rainer Maria, which is a pretty significant band you know and she was just like had a radio show on wlha i remember her yeah. her name kind of like a record crossing my desk and i'd be like caitlin damaris
2: like was uh scooter wasn't uh, andy Kendi? I didn't you bring him to the station and i did
4: yeah i did he uh he's, he's in sports
2: Maine. director in
3: uh, omaha mm-hmm. oh he's in omaha now okay. yeah right on. yeah he's hopping yeah. on a bit
1: and Andy Damp was one, and he does international. He's actually at the Olympics right now. He's covered, I think, like six oh. Olympics now for Winter Olympics for skiing. So uh, he had sent me a message the other day because he was he's over there. So Quite yeah, the we've strength. had some pretty impressive uh, people having pretty impressive careers in broadcast, and then obviously several of us who have gone out of broadcast. Although <laughs> I do podcasting <clears throat> now too, so hence this, just like Stephen. <laughs> Hmm. (laughs) although steven i would say is a lot more successful in the podcasting world than i am
4: i mean i don't know how to run any of the equipment so (laughs) you're 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 producing this so you've already got a leg up on me
1: we obviously we were intending on having dave black with us today to talk about things because he was really the glue for all of this and really without him this would Mm -hmm. not have happened so i think it would be uh, we it would be great if we all could just kind of give a little nugget of a little memory of Dave and and, and how he impacted each of the five of us, because I, I think people I don't think unless you met Dave and you know, Dave. I don't really think you can understand the impact that that man can have on your life. And just as a person in general, I mean, I'll start, I'll just say having worked with him for such a long time. And I I posted a little bit of this on Facebook the other day is just, he was always someone that if you, he would just, he knew you, he was interested in you. He wanted to know everything about you. And he just, clearly had a passion and love for people. He would do everything and is so proud with everybody as far as successes that they had would support you with failures you had and would do anything for you to help you succeed. Even if that meant the sacrificing of him doing something, I can't, state enough how much that man had an impact on my life as someone who, you know, again, totally out of my field of what I do in medicine, but really made an impact on me of just how to be a good person to other people, how to be a good leader, how to be a good listener. I really, you know, I I, I miss him dearly. And I, I feel horrible that, you know, I just emailing him just this past week, as far as Trying to get things arranged for this and then and then knowing that he's gone, you know I, I think we're we're much better off all of us having known him, and uh certainly from a standpoint of that goes you know I, I feel for Kerry and his family, certainly any of his extended family, and i just I, I know that he's smiling down on us right now uh, as far as what we're doing, and I hope we only honor him well with this tonight so uh I, I open up to any of the rest of you as far as giving he was
5: always able he was able to listen. I always was impressed by the fact that he didn't get caught up in what people were talking about. He got more involved in what they meant. And he could cut through if he was trying to explain to me what had gone on at a certain meeting, a student government meeting or a staff meeting or something else. He wouldn't talk about who said what. He would talk about what they meant and what was going on in the background. He just wanted to get down to that next level. He didn't have a lot of time for the, the, uh, the, the superficial discussion but he understood in the background what was happening and then he knew how to use that to make good decisions to develop people to know what they were interested in to help them contribute as most they could to the to the station in this case but to many other ventures also he was a wonderful teaching assistant way back in the beginning students just absolutely adored him and he put in so much effort to do that and you people saw him at the beginning when he uh, started to make those overtures to uh, student radio, he saw that as being a wonderful resource that we could work together on, and he was the person who made it all happen.
3: Absolutely, was- uh, Dr. Hoyt, absolutely. And, and you mentioned earlier about how we had a little bit of friction when we first came in, because we didn't know much about the news, to be honest. But when uh, I remember we were just talking, I talked to him on the phone a few times, that so said, just come over and, and let's chat. The minute that I met him and I sat down and spoke with him, I felt, I remember walking back to my apartment feeling awful. I'm like, this guy is a teddy bear and he, <laughs> and he just wants the best for all of us. And he, I basically, he did, I melted in his hand in a way that, that ever since, and then after that, we had a fantastic relationship. And then a couple of years later, there was nobody, and all four of us will agree that there was absolutely nobody. They could have taken it over and done what made the station what it is.
5: But that man, I mean, he was the yeah. perfect person. At yes, that absolutely time. exactly what we all needed. Yep, And we were all the beneficiaries for it.
2: And, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I, I can't think personally of another example of an individual that was put to be in a place at a certain time to perform a certain function better than Dave and you, you know you you talked Scooter you mentioned it Jim you mentioned it just on how there was no reason for Dave to kind of take us under his wing and accept this movement that we were trying to make with the radio station it was a tenuous relationship with the news he didn't really need to do anything and then I felt like us going back to him and the journalism department and saying. Hey, guess what? We're off the air. We kinda wanna do a campus wide radio station, but you know what? We need some adults in the room. You know, he could have easily said, Yeah, okay, whatever.
4: But he didn't. I mean, it's really worth noting here that we were not terribly nice to Dave at at first. Mm -hmm. We were we were pretty arrogant. You know, we were we were frustrated with those Broadcasts that were coming from the journalism school. We weren't really communicative with that department. And I think obviously eventually we developed this fantastic relationship yeah. with Dave pretty quickly, as Scooter said, you know, just like meeting with him and realizing what kind of yeah. person he was. But we didn't give him any reason to embrace us in the in mm-hmm. the in the very right. in the very early days.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I inadvertently quoted him directly when he said something like. You know, those guys think their station would probably be better off.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> and, and I'll take that as a challenge. <laughs> yeah,
4: and, and I just I just I'm not sure I'm not sure in my career I've ever encountered a more deft juggler of personalities than Dave Black. Just somebody who was able to really cut through a lot of people's drama and arrogance, including my own, and, and, and just find common threads for working people, make people feel valued, make people feel like their work was important. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think we can overstate, he made our dream come true. We, you guys you know we we stood up in these meetings where we were recruiting volunteers to work for WLHA and we were like come work for our defunct radio station we don't have a signal we don't mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're we're we might be getting kicked out of our building you know like you just run through we've got a $2000 annual budget you know you just run through all of these 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 you know kind of demerits against us and we would have to say Like our dream for this station is that like someday, like people will meet at this place and their careers will be launched. People will meet at this place and they'll make their new best friend. People will meet at this place and they'll fall in love. People will meet at this place and opportunities and doors will open to them. Like we are trying to build something that we ourselves are not Going to get to really experience. But it was, we had, I think, a really, I think all of us had a really romantic notion of what it meant to start something that would last. And we didn't know how to do it. We mm-hmm. were students, you know, we like, we all, you know, to varying degrees, like I hung around Madison for a long time and helped out where I could. I didn't leave Madison until 2006. But Dave was the one who made all that stuff real. And when I was reading about Dave's legacy and, and, you know, just kind of like reading up on reading interviews with him around his retirement and seeing the statistic that more than 2000 students have worked Mm -hmm. for WSUM, Mm -hmm. 2000 students. And I burst into tears. It's like, that was, that was what we talked about. That was what we dreamed of, right? Like Mm -hmm. that was all we wanted was for people we'd never meet to get to have the kind of joyful experience on campus that we got to have starting this little project. And Dave did that for us. And I just cannot be more grateful to that man.
5: Yeah, I'm glad that what you just said is being recorded because that was very profound. You went right to the heart of it. Thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. for saying that
3: to work with so many people as a with and imagine the personalities that he came to work with throughout that time you know students as technology evolved as well mm-hmm. and new generations come in that's a testament to uh I mean as a college professor I can tell you Every year is a new adventure, you know, with people. And he's at it for 20 and starting from scratch, really. You know, we hand off, we're the last of an era, all four of us, and handing him the reins to take over from nothing and building something really spectacular. And to do so with the respect of that 2000, that group of 2000, that's just amazing.
5: I'm not Um, sure whether all of you know this, but when Dave came as a teaching assistant, he entered a PhD program. He was thinking of a Ph.D., and he was starting down that track. radio got in the way. He said to me on a number of occasions, this is where I feel much more rewarded. This is what I really feel like I need to do. This is a group that needs me to help. My Ph.D. program comes secondary to that. And he never went very far in the Ph.D. program at all. He had no regrets for it whatsoever because what he got out of working with you folks And helping develop the student radio, in his mind, was way beyond anything that he would have gotten out of completing a PhD. So he didn't regret it in the least.
2: You know, when I think of Dave, first of all, I I thought he was ageless. (laughs) To me, he looked exactly the same like the day we met him in the 1990s as he did, you know, when I last saw him a couple years ago. I mean, he always looked like he was in his 30s. And, And not only ageless in how he looked... But that he was able to communicate like you, you had said, with a constant group of 20 year olds or 18 year olds from the time he was in his 30s up until you know his retirement here. As he aged, he still connected with them. I, I was working out on, on, on Sunday and I, I just finished. I grab my phone, I look at the email, and I don't know if I've experienced anyone's passing. Where my heart just dropped yeah. when I saw that email, just in disbelief. And then as I was thinking about it through the day on, on Sunday, and I know Stephen and Mark, you both commented on your Facebook post, just, just trying to process it. Because as you were saying, Stephen, we had those dreams and we talked about it, you know, in some ways it was a lot of rhetoric, I, I think, when we were, yeah, we're going to create this radio station, but, you know, not only are we are going to play the music, but it's going to help journalism students and we're going to, you know, be able to have this whole educational aspect to it. But Dave actually <clears throat> executed the plan and, you know, seeing Dave, you know, over the course of years here, it, it was the culmination of that dream that we had and just seeing him and and seeing it in place you know it was just a deep loss of that and also reminiscing about when we were in our 20s you know i felt like he he was he was the the not, you know the glue the connection we had through to the station and when you know you'd go back he would introduce the people that were there whether it was the station manager or DJs oh this is one of the founders here yeah, I was you know this is that. how yeah. we started this is from WLHA to W S-U-M. And, you know, of course he remembered us and would tell the stories to them and everything and just really appreciated that. And, you know, yeah, I, can't me as say well. enough. He,
3: I couldn't believe it when he introduced, I think it was with Steven the last, when I saw him, he said, these are our founders. I'm like, "A founder, I felt like <laughs> <laughs> I said, that, that's so flattering. But yeah, but, but now that and I'm a little bit older, I'm, and I think about how we did sit around all the time and talk about all these things that we wanted to see happen. And like Steven said, that we would never get to see yeah. You know, it's a dream that we never get to see. But, but Dave realized, I'm just going to take this and run with it, and I'm going to make this happen. And uh, I can't imagine the amount of meetings in the administration. As I'm in, I'm in higher ed, so I could, the administrative stuff, the committee stuff, and I know the Dr. White will agree with all this, all of the red tape that we have to deal with in higher ed. And he did, I the job he did, just amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, what you guys comment on is just a perfect example of Dave Black and his being so humble. Knowing that he really was that person who really connected and got the station going, we were all just little tokens in that and little thoughts in that. We were the glimmer in the eye, so to speak. But but really, it was Dave. Yet every time, as you you say, if any of the four of us went back to campus, he would always talk about us being the founders. And I, there's no way we were the founders. I, I you know, as much as we want, we could try and take credit for that. We were t- and, we were
4: triage nurses.
0: Exactly. You know, exactly. We were, that's about right.
4: The patient, you know, the patient was on the table, and we were just like, "Keep this patient alive until the patient can be handed off to somebody more competent."
1: Right. We were really just the prospectors trying to sift for the gold, and we just happened to find that gold nugget in Dave, yeah, and nice. uh, we lucked out, and and we hit the jackpot when we we found him, and and he really just attached himself to this project and really made it take off. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Stephen, you, you mentioned the whole thing about the trying to recruit people when there was no station. I, I don't think we give enough credit to any of the people who were involved with, quote unquote, student radio from 1993 right. to right. 1997. That's and right. I will give a big shout out to anybody who was part of our staff back then when we were promising, 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 and we had nothing until the Internet station. And. I think without that and without having some of those people who actually still wanted to try and make something happen, even though they never saw any of the fruits of being on the radio in any way, shape, or form, internet or not, boy, I, I my hat tips to those particular individuals for sticking it out because it, it let us have a little bridge there to get us to the point where we could get to the internet mm-hmm. in 97. I
4: remember a specific recruitment meeting that we were, I think, all all of us were at kind of trying to to kind of hire quote unquote, it's not like we were paying anybody the the next wave of people and really Mm -hmm. trying to explain to people upfront how unlikely it would be that they would actually get to get to be on the air. And you're right. Those people deserve an extraordinary amount of credit. Unfortunately, I'm terrible with names. but I remember Josh Gelfand, like there were a few,
2: there were
4: a few of those, those people. Oh my God, there's a woman whose name is is slipping my mind at the moment, but we hired really great people and obviously they had dave to to shepherd Mm -hmm. them through but yeah a lot of people kept this project alive when it wasn't a glamorous thing to get to do
1: let's take a quick break and relive some of wlha's station ids
3: 91.5 wlha it's not the size baby it's the frequency 91.5
2: 91.5 WLHA. Tune us in. And piss on for house, fellow. 40 years and still going strong. 91.5 FM WLHA. Madison's on. Uh, yeah. radio. Hey, Mark. It's, yeah. Um, question for you. Uh, you know, just because my memory is failing me, so to speak. <laughs> but you were there, you know, after we had left. Mm-hmm. And just what were some of the... If you could just discuss some of the problems that you had during that period of, you know, once we had the engineering study done and getting cited and going to what the city of Montrose and having to deal with the NIMBYs. And then what was the issue that was it. the state legislature? or was the Supreme Court of Wisconsin that had to make a decision in order to get that thing in place.
5: I I can go into that uh, a little bit. Yes there was a small group of citizens out in the town of montrose who opposed the uh, the tower they were well organized they were outspoken it's kind of like the tyranny of the minority they uh, they made their presence felt and one of them was a lawyer to make it worse we had to deal with them and one of the when we got down to the end they were trying to frame it as a toy a student toy. It was not mm-hmm. an educational vehicle. When I say this is a student's trying to play radio, and that was critical because in order to get this the zoning change for this transmitter, big difference if it was an educational function or if it wasn't an educational function, you, you could skip through a lot of red tape if it was the educational. So the legal issue that went before the Dane County Circuit Court was is this station going to serve an educational function or not? And, of, of course, I was a key witness and a key part of that, arguing, and Dave, of course, also, but noting that going to be a significant asset to the journalism school and to the university to have this opportunity for students. And we tried to make the case as convincingly as we could that it was not a toy, that wasn't students playing disc jockey And one of my favorite memories of the whole time was the judge when it it came out, it was not a jury. It was just the judge finally came out to make his ruling to announce his decision. He he kind of smiled at me. So I had a feeling that it was going to be (laughs) uh, something in our favor, but I always remember his first line was, I always believe that everything you learn in college does not happen in a classroom. That's right. Mm -hmm. And this, station is a perfect example of an educational, a part of the education of college students that does not happen in a classroom, that doesn't in any way diminish the value of it. It is not a toy. It is integrated into their overall educational program. And if I had to make the case that there wasn't that was true, it was to a lesser greater or lesser degree it was true over the years. But that was the reason for the, the legal issue. It permitted us to kind of run an end run around a lot of the legal requirements we would have had to go through if it was not for an educational purpose. So it was a big decision, but I'll always remember that for the rest of my life. I'm a strong believer that everything you learn in college does not happen in a classroom.
1: You know, Jim, it's funny, you know, as someone who is a biochemistry major going into medicine, knowing that ahead of time, I learned way too much about how a radio station comes to be through this whole process. I mean, just just to give you guys an example for our listeners here, what had to happen. Just the miracle of this happening. A lot of people just think you can just put a radio tower up somewhere and you're good. You know, that was the thing that we had talked about a lot. You know, we could just put a radio tower up on top of Viola's Hall and we'd be fine and we can go about our business, but that's not how it works. And so, you know, when we're talking about putting up a radio station, first of all, they have to make sure that there's no interference with other stations for the frequency that you're at. And then you have to find out where a tower can be put that can broadcast a signal to a certain area to not interfere with other areas, which is the crazy part of this. So out of all that was found out, there happened to be a small block of land in Montrose, Wisconsin, that happened to be on one gentleman's farmland. And that would be the only option we had to put a tower period. Then we have to go and approach this gentleman, Mario Goebel, God bless bless him, him, who an, all crazy accounts actually wanted to have this tower on his land because it would be financially beneficial to him. It wouldn't take up much of his, his farming property. And, uh, and this poor man and his family was being basically kind of battered around by other people in the town because they didn't want it. They, they thought it would be an eyesore because of the blinking light that would need to be there at nighttime. And they fought him tooth and nail, even though he actually wanted it on his property. So, I don't think that people gather enough that those maybe that are at WSUM right now, how lucky it's not just Dave. I mean, Dave was great and Dave really pushed that, but Dave interacting with Mario Goebel to sell it to Mario, Mario saying yes, and that just happened to be the one particular spot we could put a tower to have a 6,000 watt station. You're in right, Mike. I
3: remember we paid, the very last semester I was there, we had to lobby, I don't know how much it cost, but I found it was OWL Engineering yep. to do the, do the studying. And when we, got, when we got the results back, I remember looking at the map like, how are we gonna do this, yeah. this yes. tower? So I drove in my beat up car down <laughs> to this area, I'm like, I don't even, I have no idea how to do this. And I said, I talked to Dave, I'm like, I, I, you're going to have to help me with this one because I don't know how we're going to put a tower here, how it's going to work. He's like, don't worry, I'll study it and let you know what what's going to work. But I remember opening the the the, the, uh, the study from this Alvin Engineering and looking at like, wow, this isn't just like putting a, something on top of, of Van Heys. <laughs> Well, but then we,
5: we had to make other people understand that, too. Oh, my God. And that was difficult yeah. because a lot of the opponents said, well, you don't need to put it there. You can put it over here, put it over here, put it over there. And for us to say, no, you can't. Like, this trust us. only location. Trust, what trust us, us. If we could avoid talking to you, we would. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right? Well, and I remember, too, in that OWL engineering study, I, I think there was a statement in there that, madison for the size of a metropolitan area it is it has an exceedingly high number of radio stations yeah, yeah. And, and so that's why we had just that one area to look at you know you talk about having that that the one farmer who was willing <laughs> to have that tower on there you know mark we can't understate the fact that margaret greeby was also a dj at wlha and that oh, her yes. dad was a
4: right. board of region. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know
2: so yep. just those little coincidences that that helped us. Well, and our yeah. friend
4: Erica Salkin, who's now a professor at yeah. Wentworth College in Spokane, her dad was on the county board, not supportive of us, but, but Erica helped kind of finesse the county board. I mean, there was a whole process of getting approval yeah. from the county board that I actually made worse by by writing a <laughs> snotty editorial in The Onion. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Dave pulling me aside and being like, hey, buddy, I, I know you mean well that not help
1: (laughs) but then you could just go back and say it's the onion it's satire right so right yeah (laughs) that that, that didn't work that
5: did not work yeah Yeah. another level of it was that the license had to be held by the board of regents yes so we needed to work with the board of regents we didn't understand that right at the beginning we thought the campus could do it but it turns up the board of regents holds all the licenses for all the stations around the state i had a couple good friends Men named Ken Warren, who was the custodian of all the licenses for the regents, and Lee Dreyfus, a former governor who was a member of the board of regents and a friend of mine, and we kind of had them keeping me on the inside with information about what kinds of things would be helpful to to take forward to the board of regents for them to make the decision to hold the license. And everything came together. It just we didn't know in advance, but we kind of learned as we went, and there were people of good faith who were very willing to play a role, and they did.
1: It's, I mean, it's amazing, that whole process, and the fact that it, you know, eight and a half years that it took. So, I mean, just patience, patience, patience. And the fact, again, that Dave
2: stayed there with that project
1: the whole time. And then 20 more years after
2: that is just amazing. Yeah. I want to ask you guys a question that I've pondered over the years. If in 1993, when we turned off the station. And we were about to begin the journey to get a campus-wide station. If someone had told you that it is going to take until two thousand two to get this station on the air, would you have stuck with
4: it? In a heartbeat. Yes. No question. Absolutely. No, yeah. no question at all. That would have that would have helped, honestly, because I just wanted you know to know that there was an end. I just wanted to know what was going to happen. I remember yeah. saying, you know, I'm sure you guys and I had this conversation a hundred times. Like I was like, if we could set up a big tin can that had five strings to five tin cans in five random dorm rooms, I would have settled for that. We talked about current, car- <laughs> yes, we, we talked about carrier current and cable current, right. and yeah. maybe we could do an audio signal over public access TV. I mean, we talked about the jankiest, weirdest contraptions and and workarounds that would just allow us to put something out there. This was before internet radio, you know, was a, was, was a thing. So that wasn't really an option. We were just, we would have tried anything. So if you had said February 22nd, 2002, we would have, Oh my God, we would have jumped for joy. I just want to know we weren't wasting our time. That would have been amazing. Mm We did have a conversation about the tin cans. I don't even
3: remember that. <laughs> oh, I remember
5: the tin can conversation. Like I said, we were desperate. We were desperate. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's, again, our inexperience of uh, <laughs> what's going to work and not. But, you know, I think it would be good, you know, you mentioned the shutting down in, in 93. If one of you, I don't know, Scooter Steven, I think maybe Steven, you were the one who took, took a call. the call. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to just talk about the the background, actually maybe even back us up a little bit. Scooter, maybe tell us a little bit about how we tried to boost our signal <laughs>
4: yep.
1: to make us get a little bit broader range because we were getting so high on ourselves that we were we were we were doing so well and getting so successful as a stadius that we needed to boost our signal. What what tell us a little bit about your tricks? And, and did. Does this yeah, so, Fred
2: Locklear, our engineer.
3: That's right. Yeah, we, I had a, a, a hokey engineer who had a, quite a bit of experience in student radio. Hokey guy who lived not far from where uh, where the actual antenna is, which is kind of <laughs> ironic. That's where he lived. He knew how to tinker with things uh, electronically. One day, he said, Let, "I want to see the transmitter that we have." So we we get Mo, who's the uh, cafeteria lady, who I happen to be good friends with, and kept her. I kept flirting with her to keep her on my side. She led me up to where it was, and here comes this our our guy, our engineer in quotes, Fred, and he takes a, a green pad that you clean pots and pans with, and, a brillo <laughs> pad. and actually we actually a yeah, brillo pad. It gets on the roof, and we actually clean the rust off the antenna. We scrub. We're out there for about three hours cleaning the rust, and then he gets in and tinkers the wires. And I think we bo- we boosted our wattage by a couple thousand watts on that up alone because I all of a sudden I could get the station a little bit further away from campus. That was pretty impressive. And this proud was this, we did
4: that like for trivia weekend, right? It was to like – We did to kind of. <laughs> we yeah. did. So and
3: this guy, uh, <laughs> he's such a funny guy, and he helped make some cards. Just to, and but he had really good connections at his high school and with some DJs in Milwaukee. So uh, his small tinkering, the heck if I knew what to do with all the wiring, but we were able to boost our wattage a bit. And I think that is what got the attention of somebody a little bit further out. And I don't know who that, made, that got the attention of the FCC. Wasn't it a ham radio off, uh, operator? I think it was a ham yeah. radio. Someone interfered. With, it had nothing to do with actual radio, radio right. at all. Uh-huh. But, uh, we got calls. I got calls after that from people on in their cars on the Beltline. Yeah. I yeah. that I couldn't believe you can get us out there. That would be that was my first reaction. But, uh, it was yeah, it was a ham, <laughs> was a ham radio <laughs> operator that complained that we were interfering with his broadcast. and then Steve- Well, we knew
1: we could get across Lake Mendota because it would travel across mm-hmm. the water. So you'd get some people yeah. occasionally that were on the other side of the lake that weren't on campus. Every once in a while, you'd get a call. But yeah, so Stephen, tell us, tell us uh, your your lovely call yeah. with the FCC. I mean,
4: look, I was the I was the music director, and so you know, I kept office hours where I would get calls from music publicity companies, promotions companies, just like trying to get airplay for their albums. And of course, you know, we were the you know just the tiniest station imaginable. But you know, they're just trying to get a box they can check saying that that you know we're playing their song or whatever. So the phone rang constantly, and it was always some promotions person, and I would chat them up and whatever and one day i'm sitting there in my at my desk or whatever opening mail or whatever and the phone rings and i just think it's going to be some pr company and it was it was just like someone at the fcc and like it it pretty clearly wasn't a prank call it pretty it <laughs> was pretty clearly like a, an official thing and i played you know I, part of it was like i didn't really necessarily know you know it wasn't it wasn't like there was anything to bluff you know it was just like i don't know we're just super low power the people before us you know we were kind of grandfathered mm-hmm. in as a low power station and they're like you know nah you're not in our files i think whatever paperwork maybe had once been filed had expired you know how student organizations are they get kind of passed down like games of telephone and so they were like well we're going to need you to we're going to need you to to shut down and and so having to tell you know, having to tell you guys, I and mean, this was in the summer, so we weren't necessarily, I'm not sure we were even on the air at that, no, I don't think at so. that time, but having to basically say to these guys, like, I don't know what we're going to do, but FCC called and we we got to we gotta shut it down. And, you know, I'm imagining the movie Pump Up the Volume. Do you remember the movie Pump Up the Volume? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where yes. the FCC goons in the, in the white vans <laughs> were, like, hauling them <laughs> away. I'm imagining something <laughs> like that, you know, but it was just, it was just a simple phone call that just sort of, like, I mean, in a way, it was anticlimactic. In a way, and in a way, it was starting the clock on this eight and a half year. Yeah, Stephen called.
3: He called me, and I met with him. And I said, "What do we do?" And so I, I, remember I called, I called the number back to see if it was this a legit? Is it really them? Yeah. They go, hello, the FCC, can I help you? I'm like, oh shoot. Sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <It really is. laughs>
3: so I, I verified what he told me, and he said, well, you guys don't, there's nothing here on file with us. And I, I said, well, can we fix that? He said, well, first you can get your own licenses. <laughs> so I climbed up, back up to the transmitter, and, and heartbreakingly unplugged it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was heartbroken, and and then we the rest of the summer was just kind of saying that. Well, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> until everybody, until all of us were back together, and then we started the the process to move forward.
1: Maybe, maybe we can reminisce a little bit about our days at WLHA and just talking about that because I think you know we lose that perspective. I, I mean, we're we're certainly celebrating the fact that it's 20 years that WSUM has been around, and like I said, that's all of our dreams, and we're we're super excited for the fact that that's happening, and and I I can't stress that enough. But I think it's fun to kind of just reminisce a little bit about kind of what it was like back in the day when we were at this little lowly little kind of corner basement.
3: From in the, bowels, the lakeshore right? dorms, the bowels what, uh, of uh, what was the slogan? The bowels of uh, what?
1: What was the dorm? Because I think I don't even know if that dorm's well, there oh, anymore. Because no. I think they put this giant Taj Mahal yeah. dorm there. Well,
4: it wasn't technically a dorm. It was like some sort of faculty. Oh yeah, it was like some meeting hall or Center, conference hall. Yeah, it was like Frederick Center. Yes, Wow,
3: Wow. <laughs> yeah, they hated yeah. us. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, think about it. You know You're to trying to run like a like a housing operation for like visiting alumni or whatever like they were some kind of dorm slash hotel and all these brats you right. know are coming in and out at all hours of the day and night loud bringing their friends god knows what djs were doing down there beer <laughs> yeah and and so they were you know they were suddenly having to be like you know, hall monitors, basically, for, for this station they had nothing to do with. I'm sure, I'm sure we were a huge pain in their rear ends, but, man, they did not like us one bit. No.
2: <laughs> no. And, you know, I'll say, Stephen, you know, one of the things about that, and just in general, I, I think the, the previous station managers in, like, the late 80s did a lot to damage the WLHA reputation, so to speak. And we kind of really had to reestablish WLHA as like a serious, somewhat serious entity, you know, students that really cared at least. Absolutely. I think our you know, one of the steps that we took, Scooter, was, you know, we'd have to meet with Kevin Helmkamp from Lakeshore Hall Association. Mm-hmm. They had the budget. And I remember the budget was like forty two hundred a year. But that included I think the station managers, we would each get like a thousand dollars. Yeah, I remember being um, paid for those positions, and both Scooter and I we gave that up. Yeah, right? so that there would be a budget. I remember yeah, the
4: budget being twenty eight hundred dollars. I don't know right. why.
2: Right? Yeah. It, it, it,
3: twenty five. I think we had to pay. Did we not have to pay the Friedrich Center a small amount of that? I don't remember that. I don't know. I about do remember
4: that. when we like got hold of our budget and we're like, "What are we going to do with all our money?" And we bought a CD player, <laughs> right? A
0: right. CD I player. We
4: introduced CD technology to, to WLHA. We just had two and was board.
2: it was it one of the fundraisers or maybe it was like the budget, the entire budget, the one year we bought that new board? Yeah, that was new right before we went off the air. Um, Right before we
3: cleaned mm -hmm.
4: off the air. Well, we should talk about the old board. (laughs) It looked like the dashboard of like a 1962 International Harvester, you know, like those like just like big tank cars where it just like I would just remember having like five big metal dials. And if you looked in the back of it, it was just like wires (laughs) glued together with chewing gum. I mean it was how that thing even worked. That must have been a forty year old board. If yeah. <laughs>
1: probably. And the cart machine too that went along with it. And I, I bet you there's probably not a single DJ out there right now at WSUM who knows what the heck a cart no. machine is.
4: No. I mean it's worth, so, it's so, worth I mean, refreshing that... people's memories because it was kinda like a kind of like an eight-track machine. Yes. And they would just have like station promos. And so yep. we had these promos, you know, that previous generations of WLHA people had. We recorded a few ourselves. We got, oh God, speaking of R.I.P. Dave Gray, the yeah. comedian in, in Madison, who died very young, but he used to, he had did like a a rap.
6: And now here's a brief message from the WLHA board of directors and sponsors. I got a story I'm telling today about a radio station, WLHA. It's at the end of your radio dial. Tune it in, baby, it'll make you smile. Playing the music that you want to hear. So sit back, relax, and have yourself a beer. This is kind of easy it's sleazy to see. This is the story about a guy named me. Just a long time ago, all across the nation, I was suffering from a lack of education. So I came to the UWU. And what did you find but the Dave Gray crew and lots of other people DJing here? Again, relax and have one more beer as we play the stuff that you want to listen to. R.E.M. and the cookie crew. We got stuff from Depeche Mode, baby. Don't mean the gloat and I don't mean maybe. We're the best damn station in the nation. Understand about the education of others that we're given and we're living large. Forget about Charles, because it's us in charge. L.A.J. coming live and direct. We got the styles that'll make it have to be a wreck. So kick it in live and kick it in now. L.A.J. and the nation of counts. 91.5 L.A.J. Hit it, boy. Hit it hot!
4: You know, in one, of the, in one of those, you know, we, we just had like these, these goofy, you know, promos and they would be like, at WLHA, the longer you listen, the later it gets, you know, or whatever. And, but they were on like kind of eight track tapes that were plugged into this ancient machine. And like when it was time to play them between records, you would just like clunk this button. And it was very, all very analog. And I've got
1: several of those recorded that I will make sure that we will insert some of those shortly (laughs) into this program for you to all enjoy.
6: Way over on the left-hand
1: side of your radio dial, we're a little harder to find, but well worth the effort. This is 91.5 FM WLHA.
2: Faster than a house fellow on a beer bust. more powerful than Coach Alvarez's appetite, able to leave <laughs> BS,
3: it's just WLHA, 91.5 FM. Tune us in and blow the knob off. Hey there, I'm Skippy.
2: Oh, and I'm Earl there. And we're, we're from, from
3: Sheboygan. Sheboygan. And when we're not uh, eating brats. Or we're out bowling. Or uh, watching the Packers play. We're listening to 91.5 WLHA.
2: There, hey. hey.
3: Hi, this is Ned in traffic control flying high above University of Wisconsin. It is 10.55 and a rush to get to the 11 o'clock lecture is on. Heavy movement on Bascom Hill, Library Mall, and along University Avenue. Oh no, there is a bottleneck crash at the Humanities Bridge. Avoid the rush. Stay home and listen to University of
6: Wisconsin Student Radio, five WLHA. Hi everybody, this is Mo from the Shad. And Kevin from Frank's Place. Just keep listening to... W-L-I-H-A. 91.5. On your listening radio, too. Good. Music. That's right. Bye.
3: Yeah, as Brian stated, when we came in, when the four of us came in, we had to do a little bit of damage control. And so to, and, our, and the cabin helm camp wasn't necessarily enthusiastic about the operation. So the, when we went to him, he wanted to say, look, we're kind of being legitimate, you know, and you mentioned in the cards, we would do IDs. We, we try to be as normal or slightly professional as we could by giving the station idea, the correct times we do the weather at the correct times. And then Steven made contact with a great amount of contact with record labels that we didn't have previously. So it took, try to go to the kevin helm camp to say see you know we aren't just a bunch of fools down here we're trying the best we can and it was it was just a good time you know good time to do it and at this but at the same time we didn't lose that fun edge you know We yeah. to to have fun continue no. some of yeah. the previous things like the trivia contest that had been around for like 30 years i think yeah so we kept that up
2: i wanted to share with you with you guys talking about that and meeting with with kevin helm camp and and um what we put together mark i was reading through your book pretty much paid you know end to end last night on some of the stuff we did and I don't know this sounds like something I wrote or maybe you wrote Mark on the we presented the uh annual report from 1992-93 to Lakeshore Hall Association I just started laughing at this under capital improvements this year we bought a fax machine so that we could cut down on our phone bills (laughs) which has happened and so that we'd be able to better communicate with record companies.
1: <laughs> and the crazy thing in the medical world, we still use fax machines yeah, on a regular yeah. basis. It's
4: faxing pharmacies <laughs> all the time. I'm guessing. Secure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember we had, I mean, we had several bif- different tags. We were always Madison's underground radio. That was a for okay. sure, which was obviously very literal. And then <laughs> we were Madison's impact radio. Oh, God, I think that I was God, a God, scooter God. initiative. Yeah, that one. sounds like scooter. And then, uh, oh, and Madison's alternative. I think those were the ones that we always used to tag on with the 91.5. So,
3: well, do you guys remember uh, Stephen? His, oh, go ahead. Stephen, with his onion connections, got us an art. They are the onion artist. I'd like to, to draw us t- to get t shirts made for us. And we were, we were
4: pretty impressed with all that. Yeah. I, I pulled going on I'm like I forgot about the t-shirt. Yeah, we well, talk about notable alumni. So I mean Dan Weber who drew that oh, yeah. drew that artwork, he didn't work for the station, but he was a buddy of mine from the Daily Cardinal, ended up hiring me at the Onion, launched my entire career. He was a cartoonist at the Daily Cardinal. He did a comic strip called Adventure later went on to write for, I think, every season of Futurama, wrote for a season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and now writes for The Simpsons. You know, We, mm. we, we had some of his early art adorning our promotional materials. I remember the characters from his comic strip adventure all saying the words, Top 40 blows! And <laughs> that, was, yes. that was another one of our slogans, I guess. Thanks to Dan. Yes. That's <laughs> right. Maybe you
2: guys recall this better than I do, but when I was reading through the articles last night, There was a period when we were trying to get this campus radio station going that WSA was the party in charge of the students. And we did not have a very good relationship with them because they essentially didn't want to involve us really in going forward with campus station. And they wanted all the control.
0: Mm -hmm. And it
2: wasn't until ASM Mm -hmm. came in that really things kind of took off, and then we were able to get the referendum
4: passed. Well, and there was a gap between the two. They actually dissolved the student government for a while between right. WSA and right. ASM. And that ASM crew, I worked with my first like actual full-time job out of college. I was executive director of the State Student Association. And so I knew some of the ASM people that way. And it was Dean Troyer from ASM. Yep. He and I like met in somebody's dorm room at one o'clock in the morning, eating pizza and writing the first like six figure what would become WSUM budget you know and it was things like $400,000 build a tower you know we, we were doing, <laughs> right. but, like, but, but Dean and I wrote wrote this budget and, and you talk about the luck and kind of the confluence of events that made it possible having a supportive student government and having a really really competent student government those, those people were great you know it was much easier to get that referendum off the ground and I remember that referendum to fund the station which you know was earmarking nearly a half a million dollars for the station right. yeah. passed like 90 to 10, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was enormously, enormously popular and successful. And that, that actually gave us a lot of momentum early on and, and created, I helped create a lot of the, the institutional buy-in. I remember the chancellor being extremely supportive and, mm-hmm. you know, th- mm-hmm. thank God we had Jim and Dave, you know, to, to, right. to help, help that happen too. You know, cause once the, the institution of the university mm. is behind you, it's a long way from the, the $2,000 budget days.
5: Well, there was a fortuitous connection that I got involved in. Also, you may remember I was chairman of the athletic board mm-hmm. for oh, 10 that's years. Right. That's right. From 1990 to 2000. And Dean Troyer was on the board as a student representative during some of that time. But early in the turnaround uh, of the athletic program, if you will, They instituted a student fee for athletics. It lasted for two years. The athletic department wasn't all that happy with it, although they accepted the money. But when the student fee expired and the athletic department was not interested in renewing it, ASM already had that money appropriated. So they essentially had spare money that had been originally put in the budget for an athletic fee that was no longer needed for that. So that became a pool for them to look at for funding the student radio station. So the student radio need came along very fortuitously at just about that time. And I remember having conversations with Dean about that. And I think I went to one or two meetings with him just to kind of understand what was going on. But that really, really helped to kind of have that money dedicated and there without a purpose. And it was just natural for student radio to make use of it.
4: It was us or a baseball team. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it was.
4: <laughs> yep. Stephen,
2: lucky they had cut those sports in like 1990. Yeah, they cut right? Like, right. baseball
4: and fencing, baseball, and, and gymnastics.
2: Gymnastics. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. You know, they could bring some of those back anytime.
1: I'm sure they could. Well, we,
5: well we've brought back, uh, we have added a women's hockey team.
4: Sure have. Uh, yep.
5: Since that time, which we didn't have before, we've added a second women's rowing team which we didn't have before. We have added a number of programs, just not those same ones that have been there before.
1: It's kind of interesting, you know, working with the Washington University athletes here in St. Louis, our athletic trainer who actually passed a couple of years ago, he actually was a shortstop at the University of Wisconsin for the baseball team there. So we always had our nice conversations about UW and reminiscing about and, and, you know, kind of mourning the fact that they cut baseball there (laughs) right around when we were on campus there. You know, the more we keep talking about this, the more I'm just like blown away about all the little pieces that just seem to naturally, nicely <laughs> fall into place yeah. to just make this happen. You did not feel and just lucky. The at connections. The time. No we, no, didn't. no, we didn't. No. I don't know why I haven't played the lottery more often. Gosh, <laughs> I think maybe this was my lottery, is that this part of my life and this was the lottery that we won was, was getting WSUM off the ground. But my gosh, it, it just it blows me away the more we keep talking about
3: this. No, you're right. I mean, things, all those things fell together, just the promos we did and the attention we got. And then no. even just by going off the air, the momentum for the referendum and so forth and so on. And then finding Dave, of course. Mm. But uh, we didn't think it at the time. We didn't see it that way at all. So none of us saw it like.
1: That. I think it'd be cool to kind of talk a little bit about trivia because I don't, I don't, they don't do trivia at WSUM, do they? I think that's got got lost.
5: I have not well, heard of it in recent years.
1: We should probably talk a little bit about it because this mm-hmm. was a big tradition for years, right? and it was yes. super fun. It was super a lot of work because we were doing twenty, well, forty eight hours straight of broadcasting for a trivia contest, but does anybody want to kind of just talk about what trivia was and and how that involved like the whole campus at some point?
2: It was 48 hours nonstop on the air, but also we wrote all the trivia questions. Who did that? i wrote a lot of them <laughs> i wrote a lot of them and, you know it was trivia books and everything of course this was before you have google so i don't know if you could do trivia right. WSP
4: like and stevens point still does it and they do a they have a lot of ways to do end runs around the internet but it's very okay. complicated
2: <clears throat> well and you know it was writing that but also during that weekend we would have you know for the trivia winners we would have prizes So we had to go to local businesses, ask them for donations, and we would tell them, "Well, in exchange for the donation, we'll we'll cut a spot for you, and we'll be running that over the weekend." And pretty much, we had a free license to write whatever we wanted
3: for this business. Free shrooms, free shrooms. I remember that one. Yeah, (laughs) it's a free shrooms. Gumby's from Gumby's Pizza. (laughs)
6: To impress a date but you don't have a lot of money to spend, don't go to Frank's shed. Come to Pisons and enjoy the cozy, romantic atmosphere. At Pisons, you can enjoy a wide variety of Italian food including homemade pasta, thin crust pizza, and specialty sandwiches. Nightly specials are offered Sunday through Thursday nights. Pisons is also open for lunch Monday through Friday with specials starting at 3.25, so stop in between classes. Piesons is conveniently located in University Square Mall. Oh, man, I'm bored. Let's do something. Like what? I don't know. Read a book, maybe. Yeah, right. All I got is my Kem and calc books. Let's buy a couple of books, then. With what? I've got four bucks and a dum-dum
2: wrapper. We could go to Bookworks at 438 North Francis Street and pick up some good used books. Cheap. Well, what if I want two books and my four bucks don't cut it? Then bring that copy of Huck Finn that is under the couch leg along. They buy used books, too. Yeah, next thing you're going to tell me is that they make their own books. They sure do. It's called bookbinding. They even offer classes on how to do it. Cool.
1: Let's get down to Bookworks at 438 North Francis, just off State Street Mall, and sign up for some classes. Yeah!
6: Tired of listening to your old CDs, records, or tapes? Has the time come to replace that 8-track collection? Then the folks at Wazoo and Pennyway can help you out
4: of your dire strengths. Whether, Whether you're your trading in your used music for some, some quick, quick cash,
2: cash or looking or a for a cheap, cheap way to expand your CD collection, collection, Wazoo and Penny Lane Records can accommodate your needs. Wazoo and Penny Lane Records, Penny Lane records, records located on, on State Street. Street. So it was a lot of fun having that uh, free reign, but we did have to do that, you know, in a couple weeks up to trivia. So that was a lot of time as well. Some of the questions involved a treasure hunt. <laughs> Yeah. and then also there didn't we have like a point system that we yeah. created for the teams yep we would say well you know we'll give you 50 points to the first team that can bring us pizza <laughs> 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 and have them come down to the station with yeah. pizza for us I mean that's how we we ate that weekend so
1: it was a blast doing the trivia contest those it was. few years that we we were involved in doing that I mean it was it, it, and it is amazing how many teams we had I, I mean it, we had a ton of teams. And, you know, the way it would work is they would have to call in after trivia questions, So we'd be on the phones and we'd be answering the phones constantly, constantly, constantly as far as, yeah, yeah, what team, what team, what team. And then we had like the there was roaming people that we sent out there that you had to you had to find people that were actually like they were the mobile treasure hunt kind of things or yeah. mobile yeah. capsules that we called them. or I don't remember what exactly we yeah, labeled them like as. That. So so there would be not only like static ones that you'd have to find, but you'd have to find these people roaming around campus. Uh <laughs> And and then, I, I forget who were the people that were the suckers that had to go out and do that. but
3: I still have a Wisconsin Dairy Council set of hats that they that they had donated for. <laughs> they had given us, yeah. um, amongst other things.
2: <laughs> of course, one of my memories of that, you know, we had a lot of the same teams every year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same group. And we had the one team that was probably two or three years. And they would call in. And if they didn't know the answer, they would always say, is it Terry Gar?
3: Terry Gar. Right. <laughs>
2: I think finally we created a question where the answer was Terry <laughs>
1: You know, I think it would be good just to kind of like, you know, I think we can kind of probably wrap things up and talk about things and just kind of our thoughts on the station today or just, you know, if you have a passing like final parting comment about your experience at student radio and how it may have impacted you. I mean, I I think hopefully all of our listeners can get a flavor of that just from from the tones of our voices and the pleasure we seem to have talking about reminiscing about this. But Scooter, you want to start and uh, just kind of give us Mm. a little bit of what your thoughts are of WSUM now and.
3: Gosh, well, I mean, now is, this is everything I would have dreamed to to do and to see, and uh, that I always thought I that, that we could be. I, I just can't, I can't imagine sitting in a professional studio with all these great this equipments and like all the things that, that Dave helped build. I, I just it just goes beyond anything that I can even comprehend, and uh, and I'm glad that we were able to give start this process that now today's students can have this benefits. you know, it, it would be a dream to, to see this, but I guess I'm also very pleased to know that it's there, you know, that, that this is there and it's something that we wanted to see happen. And even though we aren't necessarily taking part and have a microphone in front of us, it's just a, it's just wonderful. And um, it's a, it's a just a wonderful gift for students now to have this, you know, to I'm grateful that they have this experience.
2: I, I, have to agree with Scooter on that. You know, it was, you know, a dream that you hoped would be fulfilled. And it was, and more, I would say, you know, not only the professional equipment, but the ability to have, you know, live bands come in and play in the studio. (laughs) And one other thing, you know, in terms of education and what we dreamed of, you know, I recall, this was probably in 1992 or 93, where we were trying to get a sports department going. And we reached out to the to the athletic department and said, Hey, can we, can we get a couple press passes for an athletic event? And, you know, of course our mind shoots to, Oh, we'll get to go to a football game and be on the sideline here in the press box or, you know, basketball game and be in the press box. And they're like, sure, here are press passes to a non-revenue sport that's free for every student to get in and nobody shows up at. <laughs> and, you know, meeting with Dave in the, you know, 2010s here. And I, I brought that up to him and he said, yeah, the, uh, the broadcast partner of the Wisconsin Badgers, they let us bring in our own crew to the Rose Bowl <laughs> and do a broadcast from the Rose Bowl wow. with students doing the play-by-play and just kind of blew my mind how far that came from that initial thought like, well, we couldn't even get a press pass to a revenue sport
3: we when ended we up getting a basketball there. one though, and then we had okay. Okay, we had that okay. <laughs> it took a little I bit know. of it took, it took a little bit of push, but we did get that one we had one <laughs> yeah but, but to go from that to
2: where there's a sports department and you have you know play by play broadcasts at the Rose Bowl is really something, and again that's that's a big credit to Dave for making sure that that happened Jim
5: I think back again to faculty in nineteen seventy three and had these various little groups of students coming into my office talking about this dream of a radio station and they weren't organized they didn't know exactly what they wanted i tried to help them i tried to steer them but all the way in all along in the back of my mind was you know we may get a critical mass of students at some point along the way here that has a common interest has the dedication and has some leadership we can find some leadership to make it happen that was my dream all along. It took a long time for me to be able to see that. It certainly would not have come about. It wouldn't have happened if I hadn't chosen Dave Black as my TA. <laughs> that semester. And little did I know the role that he would play, the personality he would have, all of the personality and professional components that he brought to that job. And without that, it would not have happened. So I'm just so grateful that Students going forward have that opportunity. And it's such a long uh, distance from back and these small groups of students who started pestering me in my office back in the 70s. And so, Jim,
1: thank you for retiring and getting out of the way finally.
5: <laughs> <laughs> they, they did let me come back and throw the switch, however. So. Right. <laughs> well, Stephen. Well, I'm glad that that Dave
4: mentioned the, the 70s because I think it's important to acknowledge that we didn't start student radio at UW Madison, mm-hmm. there, there were various kind of student radio entities dating back what nineteen fifty two? Is that right?
2: WMHA, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. WMHA? I W-MHA
4: think. When it was it the Men's Hall Men's Association? Hall Association, wow. you know. So so it was WMA, it was W M H A for a while. It was you know we acknowledged a couple times that like we took over for for leaders who were struggling when the station was was really struggling, and we kind of like well now we're going to be professional. Well you know what those people kept the station alive too.
3: Absolutely. Especially the 50s group. That was a really good
4: group. I mean, look, there were several waves of brilliant people at Student Radio before we got there. But every single person who contributed to that along the way, between the very, very start of it and the kind of colossus that it is now, in part, it was a triumph of just keeping the, the project alive, And anyone who contributed to keeping the project alive gets to share a little bit in the joy of what the station is now. And going forward, yeah, the the station has a lot more muscle behind it. But you guys know student organizations ebb and flow and sometimes they thrive and sometimes they struggle. And the most important thing you can do in any student organization, whether it's a, a radio station or a newspaper or fitness club or whatever, is you just have to keep it alive. And you have to keep it alive so you can pass that baton on to the next people and the people after that. I just wanna say like look, we get we've gotten a lot of credit. Dave has been so generous in sharing credit with us. But there are a lot of a lot of other people who aren't getting the credit that they deserve for keeping this project alive, and and if you've ever worked for WSUM WLHA WMHA, if you've ever been a part of keeping this project alive, I thank you, and I'm 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 grateful to you, and the future generations owe you a debt, and I can't wait to see what they do.
1: Stephen, with the mic drop, of course now
4: I can't finish yeah. after that, <laughs>
1: but I, you know I would say I, I'm just tickled. as far as kind of seeing the station the way that it is now. And it's just, it's a dream facility. You know, I've gotten to relive a little bit of this through the fact that my oldest is now a freshman at the University of Missouri who also has an extremely nice journalism school and journalism program and resources there. It's kind of fun seeing that one of my kids is interested in the journalism field, even though I, you know, didn't go down that ultimate route. I Uh, I do in some way, shape or form. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but it's fun and and I get excited when I see what opportunities are there for him which just makes me even more excited about knowing that this is an opportunity for the students at University of Wisconsin as our alma mater and and I just it gets I, I again I just I can't I can't say enough how much it it just makes me excited that this happened and that it's twenty years. So happy birthday, W S U M. And I, I'm thrilled that we got a chance to do this tonight. Again, horribly heartbroken that that Dave can't be with us in person. He's obviously with us all in spirit and I truly hope that we honor him in every way shape or form that we can and that his legacy is kept alive at the station because again as as we've kind of tried to express through this podcast today that really it's 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 him that brought this to fruition uh, where it stands right now and as Steven said yes there are so many players involved from dating back to the 50s and that that actually made various mm-hmm. forms of campus student radio possible it's again, it's exciting. I'm glad we were able to do this tonight. So it's, it's been great to talk with all of you guys. I really wanted to try and have something that kind of fit the mood for WLHA at the end. And there was a song that was very apropos to student radio at the time. And apart from our early 80s, because this song came out in 86. And it was by a band called The Individuals. And I happened to wind up making contact with the original group. So Mike Lewandowski, Mike Troglia. Mike Lewandowski was on keyboards and lead vocals for this. Mike Troglia was on guitar. Kevin Witte was on drums and bass. And it happened to be produced by and mixed by Butch Vig. <laughs> Stephen, tell us who Butch Vig is. Well,
4: you know, he he he's produced a couple albums. He was in a little band called Garbage. Uh, I think I've heard, have you guys heard Nevermind by Nirvana?
1: Yeah. He, I think so. I think so. That was the one with that little naked baby. <laughs> <laughs> a
4: little bit with smashing. in the pumpkins. pool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I guess he got his, 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 his roots started with producing this little, little song that we're going to close with that is called Liz Waters girls. Uh, and if again, you know that now it's a co-ed dorm, <laughs> mm-hmm. but way back in the day it wasn't. And so we're going to end with Liz Waters girls. And we thank Mike Lewandowski and the rest of the individuals for giving us permission to play the song, closing us out. And mm-hmm. we really thank everybody for tuning in. And, and hopefully, like I said, this, this really uh, shines through as far as how much we really, truly love student radio yeah. and WSUM.
0: Excuse me, sir. Oh, no. Momma sent you away to school with hopes you follow all the good girl's rules. But just in case some was might fall she signed you up to this waters girl. What your mother doesn't really understand is that it's not the way that you planned. And please help her if she ever finds out. These girls are all about your list the waters girl. Your list waters girl. Yes. We understand about your bad rap By the girls of your long-distant past It seems these girls stayed home every night And sat by the desk while they turned up the light Has girls soon figure it out And it doesn't take long to change their route With a little help from your upper-class friends and never sit at home and be good again Cause you're Liz Waters, girl, girl. Your list, what is good? Your list, what is good? And we want you. Someday you'll figure it out. These you are all about you. Can't imagine it. The best to keep the boys out With winding halls that you can't figure out if you're a guy you'd better beware Cause John and Liz cops everywhere They think it's safe in the virgin vault But when the fire alarm rings the truth comes out At three in the morning on a Saturday night There's more guys and girls To meet the red lights You're Liz Waters girl You're Liz Waters girl Girl, we want you
3: now ends its broadcast day. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about the operation of this radio station, you may direct them to WLHA, care of Holt Commons, Madison, Wisconsin, 53706, or call 262-1206. Thanks for listening, and have a good night.